Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Before we start, we'd like to extend our condolences to Lauren Woodcock, our producer, who last weekend lost a member of her family to cancer. Everyone in our offices wish her and her family the best and look forward to her coming back. On the show this week, I interview Daryl Bates, editor of shows such as Just Shoot Me, Becker, and the new 90210. Daryl joined me via phone from Los Angeles just after Christmas. Well, thank you for letting me interview you. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. What was it about film editing that got you interested in pursuing a career? I guess because I like the storytelling part of it, and I think uh, production was always too hard and too long. <laughs> <laughs> Being on the set was always... And I direct, I've directed some things over the years, uh, especially some of the sitcoms that I did uh, a while ago, and it's always a long, heavy slog, and you're dealing with a lot of people, and film editing was always easier in the sense that it was less people you're dealing with and you were more sort of directly dealing with story and acting and so on and so forth a little more immediately. I think that appealed to me. Now, you've worked on many television series. How do you approach like a new series when you're an editor? That's a good question. I think what you what, what I've always done when I worked on a new series is you really try to, you know, you try to remember that, especially on a television series, it's really not your vision that you're trying to execute it's the, it's the executive producer's vision. And so um, I think a lot of it has to do with whether or not you work on the pilot. Now, if you work on the pilot, of course, then, you know, you're reading the script and you're involved really early on from uh, the very beginning and trying to help them shape what the show is. So in a sense, you're kind of a partner in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get finished with a pilot, usually you kind of have an idea of what everybody wants because you've been a big part of that. Now, if you've come onto a show, um, let's say the comeback, when I worked on the comeback, I, I wasn't involved in the pilot. And, but I watched, so I watched the pilot. And again, the same thing here, trying to really find out what the, sh- you know, first of all, it's like what appeals to you about the show. That's the main thing when you look at the pilot. And then secondly, you really try to understand what they're trying to do, what they're looking for. And you really, so I, I, I think of my job is to sort of, sort of meld myself into what they want to do as best as I can. And, you know, with whatever storytelling skills that I have, but I really want to do it in service of, of what um, of what they want, so it's really about me sort of trying to figure out what they're looking for, what they're trying to achieve, and then you know bringing what I can to the table to sort of help with that. Well, you've talked about the comeback there and storytelling. It's got a really interesting story because it's it's the raw footage, or at least that's how it was in the first couple episodes. The idea was it was the raw footage anyway. That was the mm-hmm. conceit. Yeah. How did you approach cutting something like this? Because the shots were quite long. How do you right. mold the story when you have such long takes? Well, they did a lot of, you know, those guys had to do a lot of the work because they had to get it right with all these very long takes. Uh, so a lot of it was on them, it was on the producers and directors and the actors, of course, to, to, to sort of make it happen, you know, uh, from their end to make sure that they had, you know, they did a lot, you know, of course it looks very spontaneous, but it's actually quite rehearsed. And so they really had to sort of work hard to get what they wanted because they didn't have a lot of choices. And then on my end, it was uh, our challenge was to find ways to still be able to do some editing and some selecting and some abbreviating and all the other things that we do, but not quite in the normal way. So, for example, um, you know, if you look at the show carefully, you might see uh, certainly a few episodes I did early on, like we, we got really good about um, editing uh in the middle of a swish pan, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, where we, we would take, we would combine two takes and we'd do it through the swish pan. So it looked like it was all the same piece of film, but in fact, we were able to pick and choose a little bit. Um, and then also just, 
a lot of just ways of hiding cuts, I think, to sort of try to kind of get all of our selections in but make it look very um, look very sort of raw and very natural. So that was kind of a unique challenge with that show. But everybody had to sort of step it up a little bit um, and kind of work a little bit outside their comfort zone because we were sort of working with very long takes and uh, a sort of an unusual format. And it, it took some time and effort, but I think the results were really quite worth it. Definitely. And did you use the interviews to help structure the story a bit too? Because I know that there, she does the little sit-downs. Yes, that was a big help too because uh, they were able to bridge a lot of the material with, with that, yes. And uh, so a lot of judicious use of the interview stuff is a way to kind of help you kind of bridge, you know, a lot of this. I mean, again, uh, that show is a little different in the sense that, uh, you know, that uh, Lisa Kudrow was so talented that it was just a matter of, you know, on a lot of shows, what editors have to do is really try to, you know, fix a lot of mistakes. Everybody, that's sort of our job in a way is to fix a lot, of, especially in television where we're working so quickly, is to fix a lot of the mistakes that get made in the production process. But in, in a show like The Comeback, it was, there was so much talent involved and it was so good that I thought our job was to sort of really try to stay out of the way. You know, it was just to really look for the best material and then sort of leave it alone. You know, it's like being a cook and having the best products available and you don't want to season them too much. And I felt, felt the same way about that show. There was, the footage was so good. And the raw material was so fantastic that I felt like our job was to sort of put it together as minimally as possible and to really try to let that material shine, not try to overdo it. So we tried to keep it as raw as we could, but the material was just so good um, mm -hmm. that we, you know, we just tried to sort of stay out of the way of it in a weird way. Lisa Kutroga is a really good, uh, she has a really good sense of timing in her delivery of a lot of the jokes and they're very self-deprecating. Yes. How did yes. you use this timing within your cuts, even though it was still long takes? Well, most of what we did in the terms of the, the cutting, uh, you know, that's interesting. I, I would say we did a lot less of it than we would, let's say, in a sitcom um, or a, a single-camera comedy. Because, again, Lisa brought so much of it to the table. The timing, a lot of it was internal to the, to the show. Although the only timing we would, if we were doing any timing, I think our rule of thumb was because the show was built um, like many shows that have come after it now, is sort of on the, the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. So we would try, I think, to sort of let the pauses go a little longer than we might be comfortable with because the awkwardness was part of the show. And I think that's where her timing was, was, was impeccable internally. And then if we had to do anything in terms of putting shots together that, were, that involved the timing, I guess we would sort of try to, to, to like I said, we try to stretch it a little bit to sort of, to find that awkward moment and to really elongate it because that seemed to be what the show was so good about was those, uh, those awkward moments that she had to recover from. Mm -hmm. So we tried to really highlight those as best we could. When you're cutting something like that, how did you work about manipulating the, the pacing and the, within the, the cuts? Because, again, it's like long takes and you're working with her sense of timing. How would you cut for pacing in that show? Well, with her pacing, I think, you again, that's an area where you want to take what Lisa is doing and just just do the best you can with it in terms of leaving it alone because most of the time her instincts are so good that um, you want to just you want to showcase her work and her instincts and if we again if we had to do anything around it and create our own pacing we would try I would try to match what Lisa was doing mm -hmm. so in other words if she was if she was doing a lot of long takes like you know a, a lot of awkward things that were taking longer than usual. That's the kind of pacing I would try to build into something that I had to control over. Uh, in other words, try to match the pacing that she would do internally in a shot, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so, so again, the, again, the material, and that show, again, it, it might have been 
you know, a lot of times they say comedy, you know, comedy is faster, 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 and that's what we try to do in a lot of comedies. But uh, sort of paradoxically, I think in the comeback, the pacing was a lot of times it was to slow things down because those 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 moments, again, those awkward moments, those moments that were sort of we're not sure what's going to happen next. That's kind of what what that show was built upon. So we sort of we kind of went backwards. We sort of opened things up a little bit more as opposed to as opposed to sort of uh, speeding things up. Now, occasionally you would do, maybe there'd be a party scene or something where, uh, you know, there was a lot going on and you might fall back into more traditional pacing there where you're trying to kind of keep the events moving and so on and so forth. So there you might have more traditional kind of a quicker pacing. But anytime Lisa was on camera and whenever she was, she was reacting to something, there was so much going on in her face that uh, I think slowing things down and opening things up was really kind of, that was sort of what we ended up uh, doing a lot of on that show, as opposed to other shows where really you're speeding things up quite a bit. You said you you worked almost with her to enhance her pacing. How do you work with the actors when you're cutting? Not not in the sense of um, you know calling them up or anything, but like with the footage you have, um, each actor gives a different sense of pacing. Each actor might give a different timing. Right. Or, how do you do that? Right. And and on any series um, or any. Well, in that case, that's a good question. I think you'll find that you know every actor has their own sort of style in a way. And I think, again, it's um, some actors, let's say, maybe their pacing isn't very good, but they have great line readings. And so you have to kind of help them by, you help the pacing with maybe some editing and so on. Or maybe other actors have great pacing, and maybe they don't always have the words right, so you have to help them. Every actor might need, I don't want to say help, I don't want to be arrogant about that in the sense that I'm, but you, you know, you do kind of want to take, of course, Every actor has strengths and weaknesses, and of course what you want to do is highlight those strengths and minimize those weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So that's really the job, in any, and, and every actor might be a little bit different, um, you know, because every actor comes to this from a little different background, especially, uh, you know, when you have an ensemble, uh, the actors all might work differently, might have a different workflow and a different process. So you can help them in different ways. Some of them you might help with pacing. Some of them you might help by... Um, cutting things up a little bit and putting their best pieces of maybe their material is good, but it's not the same takes. So you've really got to work to sort of ma- uh, manipulate and manage and construct some of the material. Um, other actors, you just want to let let them go and, and let them be and and just stay on them. So it really depends on the actor. But again, you have to, you get a sense of it when you start to see a couple of shows with with the various players. You get a sense of what their what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. And, and how you can, you know, and, and I think the, 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 the key is to really, is to not get in the way of their strengths and to really help them when, when, when they're weak. And every actor is a little bit different in, when, in terms of what they could do. And also depending on the kind of show that you're, that you're working on, um, you know, you might have more or less to do in that. But it really, it's, it's, it's kind of a connection that you make with the actor, you know, in, in, over the course of the show. And what's kind of odd, because you mentioned sometimes, like, you know, talking to the actors or ringing them up, but, you know, uh, like in Lisa Kudrow's case, and Lisa was a producer on the show, and she would actually come and it, it, a late part of the process with the executive producer and some other people and watch actually watch the show and you know give comments and so on and so forth. But a lot of times you don't really get to know the actors very well, yeah. uh, except you see them all the time every single day, <laughs> and you know every little tick. But then you go onto the stage and they don't even know who you are in a weird way. Yeah. So it's it's a very you have this very sort of odd one way relationship with them. But then over time, if you work on a series that goes for a number of years, over time you will get to know the actors, and then they might, and then they actually might have a dialogue. They might say, mm-hmm. you know, especially kind of give, they, they might comment on something that you did, either positively or negatively, which is okay. You know, they might mm-hmm. say, "Gee, 
I didn't think you used, you missed what I was doing here, or you might have, you know, once in a while they'll tell you that kind of stuff. And it's interesting, you know. I mean, I, I don't, none of us actually, you know, I think really work that way off of that kind of feedback. But it's always interesting to get, and I always encourage them to tell me about it because I want to know what they're trying and, and, but I think it's, as an editor, it's usually evident what's good and what's not good or what they're up to and what they're trying. So they don't usually have to, you know, to, to, tell, to tell you that. But, and, in fact, I've had a couple of actors that I was very honored after many, many seasons they, that we were talking about it somehow. And a couple of them said to me, you know, you'd always done – I'd always felt like you'd gotten the right moments from, from what I'd seen on, you know, on the air, which I thought was a, a kind of an honor. I was very honored to hear. Uh, and, again, I felt like that's my job is to really dig in the material and try to understand – Again, you're having this kind of a, a communication with the uh, with the actor via their performance, and your job is to sort of communicate with them and make sure that you know what they're doing, and you're again extracting the very best out of them. Yeah, always working towards the best product in the end. Right, exactly. It's the same. And again, and there, you know, that's it, it can be a very subjective thing sometimes because sometimes um, you know the actors will make a lot of interesting choices, and and you have to really decide. And they're not like there's always a, a best choice. Sometimes it's just a different choice, and you have to kind of Sometimes it's, it's sort of tricky, you know. If you're gonna, if they're gonna make a choice as an actor for a performance, you're gonna make sure that, that you're consistent as an editor. That if they're making a certain choice that, that uh, versus another take where they're making different choices, if you're gonna pick those choices, you want to be consistent with it because again, you have to help them build their performance, and you don't want them to be schizophrenic by selecting choices that are sort of uh, from take to take, scene to scene, uh, line to line that are inconsistent because you'll make them look kind of odd by by not being you know, by not being consistent with whatever you're choosing. So that's our responsibility to make sure that we're being honest in terms of portraying what they're doing and doing it consistently, you know, whatever the choice might be. Because it's not always evident, like, this is right, this is wrong. It's just sometimes there are two or three choices, and they're just different choices, and they're all perhaps very interesting. Mm -hmm. But you have to kind of settle on one. And when you settle on that one, I think you, you have a responsibility to be, to be consistent throughout to make sure that that, that choice you're, you're showcasing they're doing it honestly and consistently throughout so that they look good and that they come off to be articulate and so on and so forth. And sometimes as an editor, your best work is done where you have an actor who, you know, we all run into these problems where actors are having a bad day or they're not particularly well-known for, let's say, remembering their lines, and they may have a disastrous stage uh, version of their, of their performance, especially on like a live show where they're really having trouble getting their lines right, and they're embarrassed in front of the audience. I've had that happen a few times. But then as an editor, you can go in and clean all that up, and it's very satisfying sometimes when you – and again, it doesn't happen that often, but occasionally you'll get an actor who will just really be having a hard time, and you can – the, the magic of our thing is that you can take the best little bits and you can put them together, and by the time it's all thrown together, you're never even aware that they've had uh, – you know, you've had a hard time with them. In fact, when I, uh, one time on a show I was doing, uh, I had a – an older actress, a mature actress, and she, she just was very good all week, and then in front of the audience, she just literally couldn't get through the lines. I mean, not one time, and it was really awkward. And, um, you know, and then so we, of course, we went through the whole show, and then we went, we sent the audience home, and then we did pickups um, to get her performance because we didn't have it, you know, later on. And she was so, she felt so bad. And, and then, again, that's one of the few times as a director I felt like I had a, a real weapon uh, in my arsenal, and I said, and we talked about it, and she, I was trying to figure out how do I get her to to relax and let this happen, you know, because once they started to go off the deep end like that, mm -hmm. I understand it's very difficult to come back, but I said to her, we sat down and we talked about it, and I said, listen, you know, 
there's nobody more qualified than me to edit, because I was going to be editing this particular episode as well as directing, yeah. and I said, listen, I will find every moment that you have. I just need it once, and we'll make you look great. And um, and I think I like to think that helped her a little bit, and we did get through it, and we kind of slogged through and got it done, and I, you know, I was able to find one version of everything that she, you know she needed to do, and put it all together, and no one really noticed that she, you know, except for you know anybody who was there, that she really had a hard time that night. In fact, she sent me a, a card later on and said that she had seen the show and was delighted by it, and so I felt honored there again. That's but that's where as a director I was able to pull in some confidence as an editor to say, listen, I will find this. I think we have it. I know you've done it once, so don't worry about all this nonsense that's going on and you're not getting the lines right. If you have it one time, we'll get it in there and it'll be great. So that's where I felt like I had a lot of confidence and I could bring some skills as an editor to sort of me as a director. Now that you've directed a few shows, how has your work as an editor affected your approach at directing and also how you work with actors and actresses? Well, you know, uh, it's hard. It, it, directing is an enormously hard discipline. I mean, I, I, as an editor, I mean, I've, it's sort of funny. I've told people this story many times, which, you know, as an, as a direct, as an editor, um, strictly as an editor, Whenever you're getting your footage from a director, I think most a lot of editors' tendency is to really complain about directors, and I think I'm, I'm was no different. You know, I would complain, "What's this guy doing? I don't have this shot, I don't have that shot." I used to complain, you know, to everybody, "Oh my God, this, that, and the next thing." And as I've told people many times, the very first show episode that I directed, the very first time, as soon as I was finished as a director with that episode, my comp, my complaints about directors forever ceased <laughs> because. I knew from the other side exactly what they were going through, and I knew I, I, you're not aware as, a, as an editor. All you do is you get this footage in, and you have to put it together as best you can. But you don't know any of the stories about, you know, they ran out of time or they wanted to do this shot or that shot and they couldn't because they're under this or that pressure or whatever it was. You don't know any of those stories. And so I, I just assumed the directors didn't know what they were doing, and rea- the reality is quite the opposite. Most directors know exactly what they're doing, but they're up against these really ridiculous odds and sometimes you just can't get all the things together that they wanted to, and so you have to make the best of it. So ever since then, when I'm just editing somebody else's material that they've directed and I'm missing something, you know, I try to find out if I can get it. But if I don't, I kind of know, well, there's a great story behind this, I'm sure. And there almost always is when a director comes into the room for, for his, his or her cut. I'll often say, now, why didn't we get this shot? And they'll say, oh, i got a great story to tell you, and there's some long story <laughs> about what they tried to have. And, so I, have, I, have, I really understand what they were doing, and I, I think that's helped a lot. Um, as an editor, directing as an editor is very difficult. I, I, it's, it's a lot harder than people think. And I think a lot of it is because, as an editor, um, I've heard this term like an active versus a reactive artist. And essentially, I'm a reactive artist as an editor, which is to say, you know, you give me three things, and I'll pick the best one. That's mm-hmm. kind of what an editor does. The best editors do. You know, they, they're, they're very selective. But a lot of times it's you're selecting something that someone else has done. You're selecting a take or whatever it is. But as a director, you sort it's more of an active kind of a participation where you've got to actually get a performance uh, out of uh, you know you, you're you're you have to get a performance out of an actor and you have to work with them. And the process is very very different than the process that, that happens as uh, an editor. I think the thing to be a director as an editor, you have to understand that it's an entirely different discipline and you have to be prepared to do the work and learn to do that and not just say, well, I can go in as an editor and just throw this out there and they'll do something and I'll pick the best. That might be what you think as an editor, but as a director, it just simply won't work because an actor will come to you and try to, they'll be confused or they'll have issues and you've really got to have an entirely different language to speak. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it's on that level, it's extremely hard. And I think that was what really surprised me of the shows I'd done was how much I had really had, had to learn, especially about acting and working with actors and all the different personalities and all the different ways each and every actor works and trying to figure out how to get. A lot of times you know what you want, but as an editor, you say, this is a performance in my head. But as a director, you just can't tell an actor that because they've got to get there with you. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very different process. So that's the hard part. I mean, the good part is usually as an editor, you have a good sense of angles and, and how things go together. And when things, are going, when things are going badly, sometimes you're behind schedule or you have to start, say, taking shots out that you wanted to shoot. I think as an editor, you're pretty well-versed to know that I'd love to have this shot. It'd be a great, cool shot, but I can live without it because mm-hmm. I can't afford the time. So I think that's a good thing. You really can put the film together in your head and kind of know what you're missing and what you can live without. And I think that's really, really valuable. But you have to be very careful as an editor to, to, to really be humble about the acting and directing process and how much it requires and how much talent requires and how much work and effort and preparation requires. And uh, you just can't step onto the stage as an editor and just expect that you're going to be a good director because you simply won't. Well, you've directed Ted Danson. You've directed... Um... Uh, David Spade as well in Becker and Just Shoot Me. They both come from very different backgrounds. Uh, one's coming mm-hmm. from more sitcom and the other's coming from SNL and feature. How did that affect right. your directing, but also how did that affect your editing in the editing room? Well, that's a good question. Uh, that, uh, and in fact, uh, not even just give you even, even really more of a, uh, a, a more direct example. Let's, I mean, Ted Danson, I'll give you, Ted's just a sensational giving actor. He's just really good, and he's been doing it for such a long time. He knows all the tricks, and he's uh, very generous. Even when I was sort of starting out directing on Becker, he's very generous. And basically, uh, a lot of it on those shows, because I was working as an editor on those shows, that they knew that we had a trust that went on that they would, I'd do my best to make him look good at all times. You know, that was always what we did. I think we felt the same way on the stage. I think he was very generous toward me in the sense that he, if I was making some mistakes, uh, as a director versus the more experienced directors he, he's worked with, he, he never showed it. You know, he was always very gracious and, and always, you know, tried to work with me and never tried to embarrass me or show me up or do anything like that. So I, I give him great credit. And I know, I know with him, especially, I know because I've done, I did a lot of shows on Becker and the early ones I'm sure weren't as good as, you know, some of the later ones where I got better at it, but he was always very generous about that. But he's had such a pro and been doing it for such a long time and knew that character so well that it was, a lot of it with Ted, it was just letting him do his thing and trying to sort of maybe work with him on some areas where he'd have some issues or problems or whatever, and it was just a matter of, of tweaking a few things with him. David, you know, coming from a real comedy background, you know, his, his character in Just Shoot Me wasn't really always going to be the, you know, he wasn't going to have the long soliloquies and, you know, the long mm-hmm. stories. He was a joke guy, you know. And so with David, it was always the sense of just finding what was the funniest. And he liked, and he was also quite good. The shorthand with David is like, is this hat funny? You know, that's kind of David for me. You know, he would put a hat on and say, is this hat, is this hat funny? Yeah, that's funny. Or no, that's not as funny. So it was always a matter of exploring with David what, you know, he was always looking for what was the funniest and, and try, to try to find a take on it or an angle on it from his performance that would really kind of make it, make it funnier, right? But he didn't have the, 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 the theatrical training, so you didn't really want to talk deeply about character with David because it's, he wasn't interested in it and probably, I mean, in the sense that that wasn't his background. I'm not that he wasn't interested, but he, he, he didn't work that way. You know, mm-hmm. he was really sort of on the surface with what was funny and what he did was so, he knew what he did so well 
and his instincts were so good that you just sort of worked on that level with him. But some of the other actors in the show had a much deeper theatrical background, and you couldn't have that same kind of relationship with them. You had to work, learn to work more uh, intimately with them and a little more deeply with them. So that's a challenge on a show like Just Should Be, where there was a big ensemble cast, and there was a wide variety of the kinds of actors in terms of their background and their process, all working in the same, and a lot of times in the same scene. So you had to sort of be able to sort of tailor your direction at one level for David and, and at different other levels for, say, some of the other actors in the show who had different needs and different backgrounds. So that was the big challenge on that show. But it was also the fun of it because that was, again, it was just a lot of, uh, you know, uh, it was just a lot of different personalities. On Becker with Ted, and Ted was sort of the, he was the, you know, the big dog in the main event, and you work with him, and uh, the other actors were sensational, too. They tended, um, you know, they took their cue from Ted and the way they worked and their, and their, um, their, their work habits and, and so on and so forth. So uh, if you worked with Ted well and you got along, and you, then I think it worked, you worked well with everyone because everyone sort of was, a, was very homogenous in that, in that regard. On Just Shoot Me, they were all very, very different, and they weren't, no one was going to, mold their style to David's style or to any of the other actors. So you had to really deal with them more individually with terms of styles, but it was a little more coherent um, and, uh, on Decker. You brought up two things there, that uh, when you're working with an ensemble cast, but also when you're working with multiple storylines or you know subplots, what are some of the approaches as an editor that you've found helps you cut them or is trying to get everything to work together okay. and flow nicely? Well, that sometimes, it, it, you know, again, a lot of times if, if the writers have done their job, and a lot of times they have, um, you won't have to do a lot of that work because the story, the way the scripts are written, the story should flow quite nicely. Now, sometimes what will happen is the writers might um, uh, overwrite a story or there might be too many beats of it, or you know, three beats of the story is fine, but they have four in there, and so you've got to figure out which, which one of the beats is the, is the extraneous one and sort of, sort of help them that way. So that's when you're doing... As an editor, I think, especially on the comedies and especially on television, I think you, I've always believed that you, you try to think like a writer um, because that's what you're doing really is you're writing in post-production. You know, especially in a comedy where the visuals, you know, aren't as important as the story, the humor, and the characters, right? The, the visuals are just, are just really there to serve, serve those things as opposed to sort of a, an hour drama where there's a lot of flashy visuals and that's part of the whole process. So especially in those multi-camera shows, the comedy shows, you really want to think like a writer and try to, try, again, try to construct the story as best you can. And sometimes, you know, essentially you're doing a rewrite in, in editing. And again, a lot of times I, I wouldn't do this all on my own, do this with producers and so forth, but you're moving things around. You're, you're, of course, you're eliminating things and you're, you're, uh, things that seemed okay, um, two stories that seemed okay back-to-back or, beat the, or scenes seemed back-to-back. When you look at the cut, you realize that they need some more distance or they need less distance. There's definitely like an aspect of the final rewrite to it, which I really kind of enjoy. I think is a lot of fun because you get a chance to work with some real talented writers. And I give the writers I've worked with a lot of credit because there very few of them are very precious with their with their work in the sense that when they get into the editing room and you all see it's not working, they're usually very uh, amenable to doing whatever you can to make it all work. Mm-hmm. So uh, some things work just great out of the box. Other things in terms of stories need a lot of manipulation because when you're doing it, you just can't see it. But when you look at a, look at a cut of a show, you realize, oh, my God, this story has way too much information. In it. Or, you know, that the second beat of that story, you know, you've forgotten what happened. It's so late after the first beat of the story. So it's, we've got to find a way to get it 
much earlier into the show so the audience can follow it. There's all kinds of those things that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we do that very closely in collaboration with, with the writers and producers. Um, but it's, it's just a matter of, and, and for me, it's a matter of, um, as an editor, trying to sort of give them a pair of fresh eyes as to what the story looks like. And a lot of times I don't see the story until I finish my cut because especially, let's say, on a, a single camera comedy um, uh, or, or, you know, an hour show where you're, you're cutting everything out of order and it's sort of, you're just sort of so deep in the material, I don't see it, the story at all until I put the whole cut together and look at it for the first time. And that's why I try to look at it with real fresh eyes to go to give those guys, the writers have been involved in writing this and coming up with it, and try to really give them my ideas of what does and doesn't work um, because they know it so well and, and, and I haven't seen it, so I, I have a, a fresh perspective on it. And then after I do that for a while, then when they look at my cut, I'm too close to it, and they have more of a fresh perspective. So it was just a matter of trying to keep it, remembering what you, remembering what your first impressions of a lot of this material was, so that you can keep an eye on that. And that's usually the best guide for how to fix things. Is like, oh, that 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 bumped me. That it didn't make any sense, or I'd forgotten about that, or all those little sort of things that you do when you watch something are really important to kind of remember those because those are things that, uh, you know. The audience who hasn't seen any of this, those are they're going to have generally speaking the same reactions. And the more of those things you can fix by recognizing them early on and actually doing it, I think the better the show is going to be. Now, I'd I'd like to talk to you about nine hundred two one zero. New first season is on, mm-hmm. and you worked on in post on some of it. Did you find that you used the original series as a template for editing, or did you start fresh with new ideas for this one? I think we all started fresh. I think we. Um, uh, you know, we were all we all knew and you know liked the old old series, and certainly the characters were there from the old series. But I think the producers and everyone felt like the mandate was to sort of bring it up to speed and not really do a remake of the show. I mean, I think they wanted to make it something much. You know, it's 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 been quite a few years since the old show, so I don't think anyone wanted to use that as a template. Mm-hmm. I think they they saw the characters and the relationships as kind of a template, but they. What they did was they really enjoyed the notion of taking the old characters, um, the few that had been in the show, and really finding a way to sort of get them integrated with the new folks that they were bringing on. That was and, and so that was the that was the link to the past. You know, they became sort of the embodiment of a link to the past. But really, the show, in many ways, is about the new, the younger generation and younger actors. At some point, I think their energy and um, their take and all that really became what the show was about. And so they sort of helped us figure out how to pace the show and, and the kind of things to do to the show. And we all, and everybody likes the old characters and it's always fun to sort of put them in situations and, 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 um, uh, you know, to see them doing their thing. But, but we really also love the notion of how they interacted with the, the newer characters. And what also was especially cool was, you know, some of the younger characters, the, the, the characters who came back, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, Shan and Jenny and so forth, it was so interesting to see them in sort of a, almost a parental role mm-hmm. versus, you know, the kids that they were. And I thought that was the kind of interesting thing about it is you can see them kind of, they're giving their advice or they're, they're sort of reacting to what's going on, but they're reacting as they're having been there and done that. You know, these kids are doing their thing, making their mistakes, living their lives, but they've already been there as students. And now they're looking at it from a perspective of, of either a parent or at least an older, more authority figure and I think that was sort of the interesting twist on the on the show. And I think that's what gives the show a little bit of richness. Otherwise, it's just about a bunch of a bunch of kids again. But I think the fact that we had so many actors from the show with their 
their own journey so embedded in their performances. I think they gave the show kind of a nice richness and a nice spice. They rewatched uh, Lucky Strike yesterday. Okay, yeah. And there's a whole section where um, Jenny Garth, uh, she talks to her younger sister, and she's sort of counseling her and helping her through things. So it's interesting that you would say that because you can see it helps the story or it gives them almost like a, like a sounding board to talk to and gives us more depth each of the kids yes exactly i mean and we and we've had the other episode that i did gosh which episode was it now um i think it was it was the episode um i forget the name of it where um uh, shanae uh takes over takes over the role for um adriana who's having a drug problem in, in yeah. the uh, spring awakening and there's a scene a little scene that we have where uh, jenny garth and shannon doherty are walking walking down the hall talking about kids these days and and the mistakes that they made and this and that and you, you, you get a sense from both of them that, you know, you've seen the scene a lot of times, but the two of them are talking about something really with all those, those with those years in, you know, in between and giving up that perspective. And it really is an interesting take on both of those characters. And really, mm-hmm. I think for people who like those characters in the original, they like the fact that they're still around and they have this added perspective and this added thing. And, and it really gives them a sort of richness and it sort of makes the it sort of gives them a wisdom in a weird way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that they may not have had in the original. And you can, and that sort of sort of points up the rawness to the kids. I mean, they have their own wisdom, but they're still kids and they're still making mistakes and they're still young. And you can really see the, the, the difference now between the characters that have been there and done that and the wisdom that they have versus the young kids who are sort of starting out to make some of the same mistakes and have the same adventures, really, that they mm-hmm. did uh, years and years ago. Because it does still have that, has a few similarities. So it's like two parents coming over to California and bringing their kids with them and sort of a fish out of water at first. Right, exactly. Uh, one question I have is, because you have such a, a varied career, you've you've edited comedies, you've edited uh, dramas, what advice would you have for young editors just starting out? Let's see. I, one of the things that I would say, I think you have to know, uh, to be an editor, I think you've got to be a good writer. You have to think, to my mind, you have to think like a writer. In fact, you know, editors have to sort of have a little bit of every discipline in them. In other words, they have to be a little bit of a director because they have to know what the director is up to and what they're trying to do, and they have to help them along the way. They have to be essentially an actor because they have to understand what the actors are doing so they can bring the best out of them. Uh, I believe they really have to be like a writer because they've, they've got to, the main job is to tell that story. And if they're not telling the story in, in a filmic way, um, they're not doing their job, and that's really their main thing. They have to be a bit of a musician because they work so closely with uh, – the musicians and the composers or the music supervisors to try to sort of give the tone and the texture with the music. And, you know, and they have to be a little bit of a sound editor. So they have to know, you know, and, and we, we do more sound building these days, sound design so much earlier in the process. So they have to be pretty good about that and be able to, to sort of integrate the, the, the sound elements so closely. So I think they have to be kind of intellectually curious about all elements of the, of the process. And, and, and I would say, you know, especially younger Earlier on in your career, when you're younger, get get involved in as many of the disciplines as you can. Try to write, try to direct, try to edit, try to be a sound person. Try, you know what I'm saying? Try to, uh, if you know how to write music, try to write music. In other words, the more you can do, uh, the more of the other jobs that you know about, the better you're going to be, the more empathetic you're going to be. You're going to understand those what those people are going through. You're going to be able to give them what they want as an editor because you're going to know what they need to get their job done. So. You're kind of—it's kind of like an assist, uh, like a point guard in, in, in basketball to me, where mm. you're trying to sort of dish the ball out to everybody at just the right moment and sort of orchestrate that 
so that everybody does their best. And then you look good when everybody does, you know, when the musicians do the, and the composers do a good job, you know, you look good. Um, when, you know, when a director does their job well, you look good. So your job is to encourage everybody to sort of give them what they need um, and what the, you know, to get their job done. If you have a, for example, if you've got a really strong relationship with a director, you can't do this all the time, but if you've got a strong relationship with a director, you can go down as an editor on the set and say, hey, listen, I think we're, we're missing this or we're missing that. Can you help me? You know, can I show you or, or whatever it is? You can try to help them you know, actually help the director because sometimes they'll lose some focus or they'll, they'll lose some perspective, and you'll say, gee, I really need this or really need that, or so-and-so's performance is really getting to be, they're making some interesting choices. Are you sure this is what you want? So you can kind of help everybody along. Mm-hmm. I think the best editors do that. They help every single discipline along because, again, you're really the one who brings it all together and really sort of, you know, rides at home, essentially. You know, you're involved from really the first day of shooting through the last day of mixing, and it's really, you know, your job to sort of pull all these elements together and present them in the best way. So I think the more you know about the other disciplines in your field, the, the simply the better off you're going to be. I don't, I don't really uh, – I think that's more important than sort of uh, a lot of focus these days on the technological stuff. Am I an avid editor or a Final Cut Pro mm-hmm. editor? And, and I can understand why that is because – you know, you're trying to make your way as an editor. You, you really get focused on the gear and the equipment because that's really all, that's the easiest thing to do. But really, it's much more important to have good relationships with people, to do a lot of reading, to have to be articulate, to learn, to be a movie lover. All the things that are not involved with equipment are really the things in the long run that are going to pay off for you because mm-hmm. you're going to have a better sense of film and filmmaking and story and storytelling, writing, directing, acting, sound, all those things. So I think it's about... Uh, going out there and really uh, working on your passions or really um, really, really going out there and, and really enjoying the things that you like about movie making. And also, you know, you should not – no one should ever get into this business unless they really love the business because there's so much BS that goes on. There's so many long hours. There's so much, so much negative things that are part of the business and will always be a part of the business. But the only way you're going to survive it is if you really love what you do because otherwise you simply just won't, you won't be able to make it through yeah. all the, the negative things. And you have to love the process, too. You can't just love the end result. Like, I want to be on a hit show or whatever it is. You can't be interested in that because that just isn't, because, you know, there's plenty of people on hit shows that are miserable, and there are plenty of people on shows you never heard of that are having the world's greatest time and are having a lot of fun and are bringing a lot to the table and doing good work. So you really have to like the process and the journey of editing and storytelling and movie making um, because that way you won't be as concerned about what individual project you're working on. You'll be concerned about doing the best job you can on whatever you're working on, whether it's uh, some friends of yours doing something that's going to end up on YouTube or a big production or a big movie or a big TV series or whatever it's going to be. You'll be doing the same exact thing because your focus is always the same, which is to sort of get mm-hmm. shepherd this material together in a way that's going to present it in the absolute best fashion that you possibly can. It's interesting that you said that about the software and the technology because I had a, a close friend who who teaches and they said that they always tell the students the first thing they tell them is every year there's a new software released but the technique and the and the ability to cut will always be the same so I have one last question I'd like to ask you um, and this one's just more fun I ask everyone it um, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film or television series favorite guilty pleasure film or television series wow um Good question. Let me think about that for a second. Um, um, well, you know, uh, 
I'll give you kind of an odd one. Um, I'm a food lover, so one of my favorite guilty pleasure television series is a series called Good Eats on the Food Network. <laughs> <laughs> you like? I'm a fan of this of this guy Alton Brown, who's a who's a who's a chef and a sort of a mad scientist, and it's kind of this this cross between uh, a food show and and Bill Nye the Science Guy, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's um, it, it's just the goofiest sort of cornball show in a way, but I have to say I watch it whenever I I want to um, spend a half hour and sort of um, uh, sort of forget about all that's, that's going on and and uh, uh, you know I think I, I know that's an odd choice because but uh, but I think that have to be it. Um, there you go. Good eats on the Food <laughs> Network with Alton Brown. Have you ever seen Homes on Homes? Have you ever seen that? Uh, I don't know if you get home? it. Homes on Homes. No, I haven't seen that. Is it a Canadian it's, show? Yeah, it's it's down there now, I think. But it's about it's one show that's gotten me addicted, and it's a home repair show. And it home sounds repair show. and it sounds like um, it's it just once people watch it, the the main guy is so engaging, and so uh-huh. it pulls you in so well that you're just you're stuck watching it. And the whole premise is he goes around. Um, when people get renovated, they, you know, there's a lot of people out there who will rip you off or do a bad job. And his job is to come in, inspect it, find the problems, and then repair it for the people. I like those kind of shows. I, that's the same kind of thing. I liked, uh, I was a fan of the New Yankee Workshop, you know, all those sort of build. I'm, I'm not really that very good with, uh, with power tools. I mean, I know a little bit about it, but I kind of like watching, watching those guys make those chairs and things, knowing that I'm never going to do that. <laughs> it's kind of like... But it's kind of the same, the same. The food thing's a little different because I actually do like to cook a bit, and I will try to use some of those techniques. But I, I do kind of—I like those remodeling shows too once in a while because mm-hmm. I'm not going to go in and rip out all the walls in my house and re-plaster re, re them. But it's yeah. kind of fun to watch them struggle through through doing it. Okay. Uh, so I guess I'm a little bit of a voyeur that way. Well, thank you very much for allowing me to uh, interview. Oh yes, and uh, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad you found me, Gordon, and I hope I wish you the absolute best of success. Thank you. Well, that's our show this week. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock, our producer. I'd also like to thank the American Cinema Editors for helping us out and getting the show off the ground, as well as Daryl Bates for joining us. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>